Welcome to Maximum Mom with Elise Buey, where you'll hear from women who are navigating the same messy journey as you. Lawyering, entrepreneurship, and mothering, what a trifecta. We're here to share tips, resources, wins, losses, and encouragement for moms who are raising a family while building a law firm. So you feel less alone in your journey toward a fulfilling career and being the best mom you can be. Good morning. This is Elise Bowie with the Maximum Mom Podcast. Thanks for joining us. And today we are here with Renee Bauer. Did I pronounce your last name properly? Yes, you did. Yay. <laughs> you, like me, have a lot of vowels in your name. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So people sometimes I think get all confused with all the vowels. Welcome and thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate you being here. Oh, thanks for having me. Yeah, we're super excited. I cannot wait to hear all about what you're doing in your work with your office, but I also cannot wait to talk to you about life with children, stepchildren, COVID, how that's been going. First, tell us, tell us who makes you a mom? Like who is your family at home? Oh, so um, we have a big bustling family. Um, it's myself, my husband, our four kids. So we have 15, 17, 19, and 21. And everyone, like we were just talking about before we went live, everyone is home because of the uh, COVID. And two dogs who are actually under my feet right now. Um, and a fish that won't ever die because the things have been around for like seven years. <laughs> So that's, that's wow. everyone. <laughs> wow. You do have a bustling family. <laughs> I love the fish though. I mean, fish, you don't think about is living well, long like that. It, it's funny because it was a carnival fish from probably it must, it must be like six years now. And the kids wow. went and did the game that they were told not to do. And they came sure. home with like six goldfish. And this little bugger has been holding on and is like the healthiest of the bunch. So the, all the other ones died, but he's, he's sticking around. So he's part of the family. Well, yeah, I love that. I mean, we too have a big bustling family. We have six, so we're kind of close with you. 18, 21, 24, 26, 27, and 29. But, um, and then we do have three, well, we have technically four pets, two dogs and two cats, but one of the dogs is on, he's loaned out to the 24 year old during the pandemic. (laughs) So I don't know if we'll ever get her back, but he's been having fun with that. Well, how has it been going with, I mean, four kids, those ages, I have to tell you, my husband and I talk about people like you. We're like, wow, we're so glad we only have the one at home now. Like, yeah. Well, you know what? I I almost, I say the same thing. My husband and I say the same thing for kids who, for people who have kids who are young. And, you know, at least our kids, they're self-sufficient. They're older. They don't need the hand-holding. They don't need someone nudging them to sign in for school. They're able to take care of themselves and also eat us out of house and home, (laughs) like we (laughs) talked about. But, you know, it's really, it's not bad. And actually, it's, you know, the silver lining of all of this is usually everyone's coming and going. And everyone was on different schedules. And there's so much busyness. And we found ourselves having more time to have like the family dinners and just kind of hang out, which has been nice because that really hasn't been life for the past few years. As the kids get older, their schedules get crazier and crazier. So there's definitely a silver lining in all of that. 
I agree with you. We've had my 18 year old at home. He's a senior and we have had dinner every night together during this pandemic. And it has been lovely. I mean, it's a joke. He comes to the dinner table and he always says, okay, this is what I learned today. He's one of those people that is just always learning something. So, I mean, I've learned more about rocket engine development than any person who is not interested in rocket engine development can actually (laughs) possibly learn. And so every single night I learned something new about what is going on and why the engines are being developed in a certain way. And so it's kind of interesting. I told my husband, I was like, we're really going to have to up our learning game when Ethan's gone. And so we were joking about how we're going to decide how we're going to share the learning. Like, are we both going to come to the table with our lessons learned of the day? Or are we going to split it up? I think we've decided we're going to split it up. So Doug will do (laughs) one day, I'll do one day. (laughs) Oh, that's so funny. I have an Ethan too. (laughs) Do you really? Yeah. (laughs) What is your Ethan passionate about? Sports. So right now it's all things baseball. Ah. And his girlfriend. (laughs) There you go. Very good. Now, has he been able to keep playing baseball or does he just, is he still playing or is he watching or what does he do? So the school is allowing them to play. So this is really the first season of kind of a normal sports season. So he's all into it. That is awesome. I have to admit, I shouldn't say this out loud. None of my children played baseball. I didn't allow any of them to play baseball because I was really concerned that the game would be boring for me. And I was like, I cannot do that. I'm like, you've got to play a rough and tumble sport. (laughs) So he loves basketball too. So basketball is my favorite to watch because it's quick. The games are an hour. It's fun to watch. Baseball is boring. Well, it's long. It's really yeah. long. I mean, I don't yeah. mind long games because my boys all played football and I loved going to football games, but they were interesting and I could really get into them. Whereas, I mean, poor Doug has taken me to baseball games and I'm like, what do y'all do for this whole time? Like this yeah. just seems really tedious, but um, yeah, I've just never gotten the baseball bug. <laughs> yeah. Well, tell us a little bit about your practice as well. And what do you do when you're not in mom mode, but in lawyer mode? Sure. So I have a family practice in Connecticut. We really uh, represent clients all over our little tiny state because we're so small. So the practice has been around about 15 or 16 years now. I've been practicing almost 20 years and we are exclusively a family law practice that really takes a holistic approach to all of our clients and to helping them through the process because it's about so much more, as you know, Elise, than just legal strategy. It's really about helping them sometimes work on their mindset and almost get out of their own way and not let the barriers um, stop them from moving forward or get caught up in the conflict because we see it all the time that people really get stuck because they're they're in the blame game and the shame game and and they want to they, they want their other person to pay so we really take this holistic approach to help clients through the whole process and um, really stay child focused Now, tell us more about that. I mean, how do you do that? What does a holistic approach look like? Do you have people on your team who are focused on this or everyone or what does it look like? Yeah, so our entire team is um, the way we interact with our clients. We talk to them. We have 
meetings with them once they retain in order to sort of work with them on that and talk about goal setting and prioritizing what's important to them. And we just have a lot of communication with clients. We have a lot of um, interaction throughout the course of their case to really make sure we're checking in with them and making sure that that they're not going down into a bad place where, you know, when, then, we, then we're having to undo all of that at the end. So we're really handholding throughout the process and not being reactive. We're really proactive in handling the cases. And our whole team is um, just adopts this approach. Our, our little tagline is your piece is our purpose. And we really embody that as, uh, as a business. That's amazing. I mean, we have a family law firm as well, and I feel the same way as you do about how important it is. And when you mentioned mindset, I mean, I think mindset is, I mean, I don't know, 95% of the game, you know, to help our clients with getting out of that victim mindset and really trying to empower themselves to look at things that they might've looked at in the past from a victim standpoint versus now, like how can they look at it and how can they solve their own problems or, you know, see the problem in a different light even. I mean, tell us a little bit more about how you work with people in their mindset. Yeah. And so, you know, one of the things that everyone gets hung up on support in alimony, like that's, that's the the thing that people have a hard time resolving. And I tell people, it really doesn't matter whether you get the extra $50 or a hundred dollars a week. If you think that you're not going to have enough, that $50 will still give you not enough. But if you're able to change how you think about this and start um, because so often when someone's caught in that that mentality of they need more, they're looking for all of these external sources. They want their soon-to-be exposed to give them more. They want their attorney to get them more. And the problem is they're relying on other people to fix their problems or what their concerns are. And so when you shift your mindset and say, okay, rather than say, what are you going to do to make sure I have enough? Start changing the conversation you have and say, how can I make sure I have enough? So what can I do inside and externally for my own? What do I have control on to make sure that 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 amount that I'm getting is going to be enough to pay the bills? And so what they're doing, you know, when you you change that conversation, you start to regain control over your life and you make it work. So that $100 is not the deal breaker anymore. And you're going to make it work. And that's, you know, those are the stories we hear from clients who really survive or just thrive post-divorce. And the ones who really thrive are the ones who said, okay, this thing happened to me, not what I expected, major plot twist, but I'm going to make this work. And those are the ones who don't end up going back to court over and over again. And the ones who reach out a couple years later and say, I've never been happier compared to the ones who said, I never got enough to begin with. I want more and then keep going back to court. So it is definitely a mindset shift. And you are 100% right that it is, you know, it's not the the whole divorce process is probably 90% or 95% mindset and so much less about the law because there's only a range of things that can happen. And it's, what do you do with that within that range? Oh, I think that is so true. I mean, and I have to tell you from personal experience, I mean, I got divorced. I, my ex did not pay what he was supposed to pay for many years. And initially that was something that I bumped up against. And I would like reach out and be like, you know, you owe me this many thousands of dollars. I I would never get them. And one, 
one day I just said, you know, this is the silliest thing on the planet that I'm doing. Like I need to figure out how to create all that money that he should be paying on my own. Like yeah. what, you know, he's going to do what he's going to do. My children's lives need to move on. They need me to pay for school and college and all the things. And so I literally just completely flipped it off and was like, I, I, you're just not even part of the mix anymore. Despite what the judgment says, despite what the court ordered say, you don't do it. I'm not looking for it. I'm going to figure it out on my own. Literally never in a million years would I have thought I was able to accomplish what I was accomplished on my own. And I've never taken him back to court for anything yeah. ever. Like it's just it makes no sense. Like it's, yeah, it's yeah. a completely different mindset. And now I'm like, sure, you can come sail to my house and dock your sailboat on my mooring ball, you know, <laughs> and see Ethan, like have a great time. Well, and right, because it's not about, it's not about them. It's about nope. your own peace. And totally. as long as you allow them to penetrate that and get you angry and upset, then they're <laughs> you're giving them that your power. Oh, it's just, it makes no sense in trying to get people to understand that. How do you deal with this insofar as dealing with opposing counsel? I mean, I find in family law, I mean, you have some opposing counsels who are amazing and they are very similarly aligned and they're having these same conversations. And then you have others and I'm like, whoa, we need to go back <laughs> to like communication 101, mindset yes. 101. Yeah, you know, it's so funny because I think that there's definitely be a bit of progression of just how I respond to that over the years. Because okay. for so many years, I would get so angry and so emotional and like get embroiled in that. And and then then you start to realize, you know what, there's nothing I can say that's going to change how this person practices or help them understand that what they're doing is really damaging or harmful to families. And so what I do is I adopt just the method of keeping it brief and keeping it to the point and removing, not responding to the things that don't require a response. You know, this is much like co-parenting and dealing with a difficult co-parent. And right. then when it comes down to it, if I really know that there's no, no reasonableness with this person, I say, let's just get tried. Let's just get dates. Let's just yeah. go in front of the judge because you can drive yourself crazy trying to negotiate with unreasonableness and you, we can't make them different people. And sometimes you just have counsel that you just need to go in front of a judge. So it's becoming aware of, okay, who, who is that? You know, who are those people that as soon as they file their appearance, you know that this is how this is going to play out and you, and you plan accordingly. Well, and I think you hit the nail on the head. It is so much like co-parenting. Yeah. And I think, I feel like we as practitioners have such a responsibility to model proper dispute resolution. And so I find if we have a counsel like that on the other side, the best thing I can do for my client is to show them exactly how they should do this if this was their co-parent. You know, how do you set up those boundaries? How do you have communication that is non-emotional? Like you said that, I mean, I think of Bill Eddy, the brief, informative, yes. friendly, and firm, yes. you know, and do the biff even on opposing counsel. Yes. And Absolutely. I think that then you can send those to your client and it's like, okay, this is, I mean, we got a crazy person on the other side of the case and you have a crazy person on the other side of your mm -hmm. family. So you know, it's a great opportunity. It worries me when I see attorneys who will engage in that 
battle. Cause I work a lot as a parenting, like a guardian ad litem or a parenting mm-hmm. evaluator. So I get, you know, to see a lot of the back and forth yeah. between attorneys. And sometimes I'm like, Whoa, you both need to like go back to your positions in your corners and settle down. <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, I think sometimes the problem there is that it, it's it's the the horse and pony show that you the dog and pony show you put on for your clients. And so, like, we've had clients say to, to us and my firm that, well, why are they getting the last word? Why are they? And, and, you know, because they think if you're not matching that demeanor and if you're not showing up or engaging that way, then they're getting the upper hand or they're getting the win. And it doesn't work that way. So sometimes it's trying to explain so that, listen, if we engage in that, it's only going to cost you more money. Like the outcome isn't better for you and it doesn't change anything at all. So it's, um, but that's sometimes really hard for people to understand because if they see one side acting a certain way and if the other side isn't responding in kind, then they're like, oh, well, you're being bullied. No, we're not being bullied. We're being strategic and we're serving you best by not engaging in that behavior. Oh, a hundred percent. And I mean, I think that at least here in Washington, you really are doing a disservice to your clients when you engage in that, because I truly believe, I mean, the court pays attention to, you know, how psycho the attorneys act. And I think that it really matters. And I tell people all the time, like getting the last word has nothing to do with your well-being moving forward. I mean, it's just immaterial to what we're trying to accomplish here. And I think if people could understand that there's such a difference between that pit bull attorney versus what I call the golden retriever attorney, like let's be wise and beautiful. We don't need to be snarly and foaming at the mouth to get our jobs done. And so, you know, but I think so many people play into just kind of the thing we see on TV almost, you know, just that back and forth. And um, do you practice collaborative law at all as well? Or we no? do. So, yep, we do that. Um, I do it uh, probably, it's probably on the bottom of the, the type of cases I do. We do a lot of mediation um, and then litigation. But as you know, it doesn't mean that you're always going to court. You're being cooperative with other attorneys and working things outside. But collaborative is always a, another great way of trying to keep things out of court and keep it non-adversarial. Right. The Guild is an insanely productive community of lawyer entrepreneurs with a growth mindset who share their collective genius and hold each other accountable to take their careers and businesses to the next level. But in 2021, we are upping the game. In addition to exclusive access to the group, FaceTime with the two of us, discounted pricing for live events, and front seat exposure to live recording and podcasts and video, we are mapping out for members the exact growth playbook with our new program, Maximum Lawyer in Minimum Time. As a Guild member, you'll build relationships and experience content specifically designed to complement your plan for growth. For a limited time only, the Maximum Lawyer and Minimum Time program will be offered for free to all new Guild members. Join us by going to maxlawguild.com. And now have you been running, so you've been running your own practice for 16 years? I have. 
Wow. How many people do work for you now? Like how large is your practice? Yep. So I have two other attorneys, although we're adding to that shortly. Um, one of my paralegals is graduating from law school, so she's coming oh. on board. So we're going to have four full-time attorneys and then a support staff. And we're going to be adding to that as well soon. Wow. So, I mean, it's just been growing and growing. <laughs> you know what? It, and it has. And it's just, I've always run the business by do the right thing and have integrity. And yeah. it has never failed. And, you know, it's it's we take the cases that that we think we can really help people and we turn clients away who we don't think that we can help. Yep. And, you know, it's it's we tell people when they come in for a consultation, like we might not be the right fit for you if they're saying things that really don't align with how we practice, because I'm I'm divorced, too. And I get it. I have a great co-parenting relationship and I would never want to add fuel to a fire and and destroy someone's co-parenting relationship. And if someone's looking for that type of representation, I'm not the right person for you. You know, that you'll have to find someone else. Right. I so agree. I mean, I think on two points, I mean, when you talk about running your business with integrity, I was having a meeting with one of my team members the other day and she was talking about she had made a mistake and I was like, no big deal. I said, you know, we all make mistakes. And I said, you know, as long as we all operate in integrity, excellence and compassion, nothing you do can be that bad. Like we can fix it. You know what I mean? Like, and so, and she was kind of taken aback, like, well, you don't seem really upset at all. And I was like, I'm really not. I mean, we all, me, I mean, the queen of mistakes, like I make them all the time, you know? And so, but I think if our head is in the right spot, you know, and we're operating with it, for me, those three things, it's been a game changer as far as just how do you deal with mistakes and being able to learn from them and move on. And, oh, do I agree with you about co-parenting relationships? I feel like we have a real duty to not destroy people's co-parenting relationships. And I feel like I mean, it's, I just, the children, I mean, I'm really struck by how important it is for the children. And I do think like you being a divorced parent and knowing, you know, and for me, my four children went through different things. They had different relationships with their dad, each of them. And um, I mean, it's something that, yeah, you just can't build back if it's not there and it's not in place. And as pr- practitioners, I hate that we destroy people's co-parenting relationships. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And, you know, we we see it, what co-parenting looks like when it's done well and right. children thrive and they're fine. And then we see what happens when there's so much conflict. And that's where the statistics come in. And that's where we see all of the, the outcome of what a divorce can have on high conflict, because we know it's not the divorce that causes the disruption as much. It's the conflict. And um, there's a lots of parents who are separate parents who can co-parent and their children are healthy, emotionally healthy, imbalanced and doing well. It's amazing. I mean, when you try to explain that to people that it is truly not the two homes, two homes does not ruin a child. It is the conflict that ruins and causes, I mean, profound psychological damage to children. And, oh, it's very striking to me. I mean, I watch my own son, you know, be able to navigate and do stuff with his dad and enjoy all these things. And it's just as pleasant as can be, you know, there's no 
just yeah. nothing that, and that doesn't mean we are thrilled with each other all the time, right. but you know what I mean? But none of it is yeah. out there in the world of conflict. I mean, and that, that other person, even though it was an ex-spouse is also your teammate. So totally. that's the person that you need to go to. All right. When you have teenagers, you're going to want backup. And Absolutely. so you're going to want someone reinforcing rules or, you know, that's, those are the, the like, that's the person person that I call when something happens. It's like, Hey, just giving you a heads up or, Hey, I need help with transportation. And when you have that good relationship, it is a joint team effort and it's not me against them. It's like, okay, okay, it's all the focus is on your child. And that, you know, that's a beautiful thing because your child doesn't feel the stress. You don't feel the stress. And you know, that dictates how you show up in life, in your days, in, in your relationships and everything else. I think it's just plain game changing when you can pick up the phone and say like, I need help. I mean, I have to tell you, like, here we are about to take my youngest to college in July, whereas his dad won't be coming on that trip. He has no, you know, that's just not his thing. So my new husband and I will be, and I say new husband, we've been married almost a decade now, but you know what I mean? (laughs) We'll be taking Ethan to college and, but then David is coming out here and he will literally be pet sitting all of our pets, which are two of them are Ethan's kitties. And so he'll be pet sitting while we do this trip, you know, so that everything will go smoothly. And I mean, it's that kind of weird stuff that, you know, it's weird, but it works. And I think when you talk about us as team members, I mean, I actually call it, we're co-CEOs of team child. Like, and I think of us as working together to maximize our children. And so that means that I need to be co-parenting in my strengths and he needs to be co-parenting in his strengths. And obviously we both have strengths and we both have plenty of weaknesses. So we don't need to bolster our weaknesses. We just need to be operating in our strengths. And I find that it has been an amazing situation to allow us to do that and to really maximize our children and be able to help them in ways that we both do good at and we can then thrive and then the children can thrive. And yes, it's something I just, I mean, don't you wish sometimes we could just like sprinkle magic fairy dust? I I know. And you know, it's, it's sad because sometimes people don't want to hear that. And they're still so caught up in that blame game that it's there. It's, it's not, you know, and it's always about, it's never them. It's not them contributing to the, to the, the, the relationship or the dynamic. It's always the other person, you know, it's like truth bomb. No, it's both of you. Like you both got here, like something you're responding in a certain way. Even if one person instigates, like it's very, very rarely. And we see like, sometimes we'll see situations where it is more one-sided, but 99.9%, this is a dynamic that is going to require work to undo your marriage broke apart. (laughs) There's, you know, there are issues there, but now you have to figure out how do you put those aside for the sake of your children? And you're right. It can be a beautiful thing when you're able to do that. And, you know, I think the most important piece of all of this is that it's just, it, it feels good in your own life. Even if it has nothing, even like, you know, they have someone say, well, I don't want to make it easy on them. This has nothing to do with them. If you, if you just, if you co-parent in a way that is smooth and easy and peaceful, 
and you show up in that way and you know you put the effort in and stay child focused your life will be better for it and you will be less embroiled in that and you're not going to get that pit in the stomach when a text comes through from them and feel like you have to respond you know the impact is so much more than just your ex it is every facet of your life oh it's i think it is everything and yeah. i see it in new marriages too like I find that by, you know, my, my current husband and I both have exes. We both feel the same about how we treat them, how we co-parent. Like it's all, we both just are very committed to being excellent co-parents and there's just no conflict between he and I then. Do you know what I mean? I want second marriages fall apart because of the animosity and hate that gets brought into that second marriage by way of these toxic co-parenting. And Mm. I'm like, why are you doing that? Like, let's just not ruin another marriage over this old stuff. And I think it is mindset, mindset, mindset. I mean, do you have books? Like, what are the things you've done to try to help you and your clients kind of get to where you are? I actually created a program that is launching in a few weeks called the Divorce Soul School just for this. And so I have spent the past year studying and reading and researching and practicing. And I actually use my current husband sort of as a guinea pig and his kids will say, wow, dad has like never been like happier and like just so positive. So I I created this six month coaching program specifically for women who have come out the other end, they're out of their divorces done and to help them get past all of that and really work on their mindset. And so I'm a big believer of law of attraction and the universe and how we have the ability to create our life and life doesn't happen to us. Things don't happen to us. We are the creators. And so by starting to employ some, some different tactics, some affirmation work, some mantra work, meditating is, is really a big one. And just, you know, these don't need to be something that takes you hours every day. We're talking 10 minutes a day, such a small nugget of time. And to really start to realize how much control that you have. So this whole court, this whole group coaching program is built on that to really help someone who's coming out the other end and saying, let's not talk about your ex. Let's not talk about how much support you got. I don't care what's in your divorce agreement. Let's talk about you and let's talk about how you create your next chapter. Oh, I think that is amazing. And what an amazing resource for people who are coming out and want to thrive on the other side of this. And that is amazing. I bet you're going to have so many insights. Well, now, of course, I'm going to have to like sign up for the course myself. (laughs) I can learn because I just think our clients all need this. I mean, and it's exactly what they need to be able to just truly take control over their own lives. And to me, learning to not be a victim of anything was absolutely positively the most life-changing thing for me of all times, like to never be like, woe is me or, oh, this thing happened. I'm always like, well, at least what did you do to, you know, create this situation you find yourself in? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. 
It's a little shift, but I mean, it's a big shift. When well, it, you know, so it's funny, like I'll have people be like, oh, but your ex, it's easy to co-parent. Well, the other thing is I have a second ex. I was married twice, very shortly for a second marriage. And that one was the worst of the worst. Everything bad that you could say and that you, you hear clients say <laughs> was that. And it was really easy and the two get sucked into that. And I very easily could have stayed in the, all of this thing happened to me, but yet it was such a learning experience. Oh, yeah. um, and so, you know, I, I know that like, yes, that shift is hard to, to say, okay, I'm not going to be the victim or I'm going to stop saying poor me or like this person is awful and I'm going to start doing something to look forward rather than look back. So it doesn't matter. You don't have to have a perfect co-parent. You can have have like the complete jerk too, and still come out that other end um, and be okay and better than okay. Well, and it's so empowering to me when I'm in a situation, if I have to choose between turning the mirror outward or turning it inward, it is so much easier for me to turn it inward and fix all the things that I need to fix, you know, like I can control all my things. I can't control that mirror outward look at all. And so I find by just being able to turn the mirror inward, I can make just pretty seismic shifts with yeah. concerted effort. Obviously, I'm not saying I don't have more seismic shifts to make. I mean, I, I hope I have shifts to make throughout my life. Yeah. I think, you know, that's kind of the joy of all of this. We do all the yeah. learning, but um, it just it is just so much easier because you're not fighting with anybody else when you're focused right. on yourself making changes. Yeah, I think it's habit. It's practice. You know, mm -hmm. I don't, I, there isn't anyone out there um, who can just say, OK, this is how I'm, I'm going to show up and I'm never going to let anyone impact <laughs> me like that, that's not reality. So it's it takes just practice and doing it on a regular basis. So you then have the awareness on how to bring it back. And when right. you continuously kind of just just um, practice turning inward and practice sitting quietly and practice controlling your emotions, it's easier to do when something big does happen. Big time. Well, and I think when you mentioned meditation, I think meditation is hugely helpful in yeah. dealing with some of those things and um, just helping you learn to be still, too. Yes. Yeah. And that's something that I have a really hard time with. Like I am not a still person. I have a list and it needs to get done. How much can I accomplish in this day? Like I'm a doer. So sitting quietly was really, really hard for me. And I did that actually today. I closed my door at my office. My phones were ringing. I put the do not disturb because I was getting like a little frantic and chaotic. Right. And I just sat for 10 minutes, totally grounded myself and just checked back in. So that becomes a habit too. And yeah. it doesn't, you know, I think people think that these great, amazing discoveries need to happen over meditation. It doesn't. It just, you can just sit. You don't have to be doing anything. You could just be sitting in quiet for 10 minutes. You can listen to a guided meditation. However, there is no rule book on how this has to be done. You can do exactly. it in the way that works for you. And I think that that's why people are scared of it because they don't know how to do it. And there's nothing you have to do except <laughs> just to sit and turn off all your distractions. Well, and I do think, I mean, I know for me, guided meditation is really helpful because I do think I have a hard time shutting, getting my brain to quiet down enough, you know, yeah. whereas I find guided meditation then will allow my brain to just follow that. Yeah. And so I do find it very centering. I mean, and I listen 
to there's um, I actually had on the podcast, Claire Parsons. I don't know if you've ever listened to any of her guided meditations and they're geared towards lawyers. Like she has guided meditations about like sending, you know, emails or getting nasty emails or dealing with negotiations or just all kinds of different things. And so it might be helpful as you, you know, think about your course too, because Claire is an attorney and a mom. And I just think that, yeah, it was really interesting to learn more about her guided meditations. I love them. I listen to her every day. I literally feel like I have Claire in my head. Oh, that's funny. I'm going to have to check it out. Yeah, absolutely. I think her blog, it's called The Brilliant Legal Mind. And so on there, if you would go there, you would find a listing of all her guided meditations. And she said the exact same thing you did about how there's nothing to learn or know. You just need to be able to sit and kind of ground yourself. And she talks about body scan, breath work, and then compassion. And so, you know, in being able to combine those three things, it's really powerful. Yeah. I, you know what I love using it for, cause I'm a writer. And mm-hmm. so sometimes I'll get writer's block. And just today I have a book proposal that was going out in the world and my agent was waiting for it. And I had something that was, I was really stuck on and I kept working and working and it was not working. And so <laughs> I, as part of my meditation, it was, I just, I just focused on, not on that. I didn't turn my brain, but I just asked for some guidance just right. on what, what could I do to make this work? And the funny thing is once I finished the, the meditation, I sat down and, and banged it out in five minutes and sent it. And she's like, this is perfect. So sometimes it just takes that, like, I don't, you know, and what do I attribute that to? It's just sitting quiet and just being receptive to other possibilities. Because totally. your brain is telling you, no, it needs to do, it needs to look like this, be like this and sound like this. And maybe it doesn't. And so when right. you just allow yourself to sort of say, okay, what other possibilities can it be? You get answers. It's amazing. Oh, it has been so amazing to talk to you. I cannot wait to see your course in the world and your book in the world. We will definitely add your course material information into the show notes because I want others to be able to know about it and be able to refer their clients to you. Now, isn't your course something that can work with people all over the United States? Like it's not just in Connecticut. Yep. Yep. So I have a course out called the D course that is for someone going through a divorce, sort of a roadmap. Again, not, it could be for anyone. It's a lot of mindset work, but for someone who's in that process. And then the divorce soul school is going to be for someone who is outside. And that has absolutely nothing to do with the legal world or, uh, or your divorce agreement, but is for someone who finds themselves sort of at a new chapter. Well, I'm so excited. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's been lovely talking to you and getting to know your work. Yeah, it was so fun. I, I'm absolutely like loving your setting right now with the, <laughs> the water behind you. I haven't seen water in so long. Yeah, well, today is a white cap day. I mean, we're having a lot of white caps, so there'll be no kayaking for us today. So. <laughs> it was so nice chatting with you. Yeah, you too. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Maximum Mom Podcast, a production of Maximum Lawyer Media. Be sure to subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. See you next time.